0: had a good morning. Speaking of the army of kids, my goodness. Um, I I hope that you have had a great morning so far. Um, There are a few scenes in scripture, and I don't know if you'll be able to relate to me here. I think some of you will, I hope. But there are a few scenes in scripture, more than a few, that I just would have loved to have seen. Like, um, to be a fly on the wall in some of these scenes. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but it would be incredibly cool. There's this kid's cartoon that I love um, that's actually really well done called Superbook. If you've never geeked out about Superbook, I know you're gonna be watching football maybe today, but on another night, Superbook it, it's good. Um, but what this cartoon is, is it's a cartoon centered on scripture and, and where these kids get to journey back in time and be a fly on the wall on... Uh, many of these scenes in scripture. And I know that that is just a cartoon. But I got to tell you, there are certain moments in scripture where I wish this cartoon were possible. And um, church today, for me, is one of those scenes that I would have loved to have seen, to take it in and to unfold before us. So we're going to be looking at the second half of Matthew 3. And we get to settle into Jesus's baptism today. And um, man, I know we don't have uh, time tra- travel uh, yet today, but we do have, have this and we have the opportunity to sit with this this morning and, and to really look at one of the most unique and powerful moments in Christ's life and really the starting line of his public earthly ministry. We get, to, we get to watch the starting line today. And um, I want to show you something as we begin, okay? Um, let me show you this. This, this is Matthew. And uh, so far, we haven't gone very far. We're in chapter 3, so this is going to be short. Um, but, but think about this. We started with Jesus and specifically the genealogy. And we started there where, where Matthew looks backwards and traces uh, Jesus' genealogy, Abraham and son of David, and and we so we see that, right? And then and then we we shift into his birth, and and we see you know the manger, those shepherds and uh, Mary and Joseph, and then we move to chapter two, and in chapter two we get the wise men, we get Herod, we get um, uh, we talked about this, but. Jesus, no longer a baby here, but a young child, right? And, and we, we get to see that. And then um, last week, we looked at uh, Matthew shifting to John the Baptist in chapter 3. The one called by God to be the crazy prophet in the wilderness, to prepare the way, calling for repentance, baptizing people for repentance. So we see this like boom, boom, boom in our, in our text. Now, it's easy to think that it was boom, boom, boom. It's easy to think that it's like chapter 1, then chapter 2, then chapter 3, back to back to back to back. But here's the question. What would the timeline look like if this were a chronological line? Well, it would look something more like this. Um, Here's the thing. If you look at this, we see this gap, this huge gap. And the question is, what on earth was Jesus doing? This big gap. Because because we have baby Jesus, then young child Jesus, chapters 1 and (laughs) 2. All the way, chapter three, where he is now. What's happening here? Um, I'm sure there was a lot happening here. Jesus living, growing up, doing life in a small town. Here's the crazy thing, though. We don't have much information about what was going on. We have a little bit in other places of scripture and places, but we don't have much on what Jesus was doing in this, this time. 30 years, like, About three decades where Jesus spent his life in relative quiet, relative obscurity. Three decades. Um, It's one of the things that I wonder about. And I want to ask one day, Jesus, what were you doing in those 30 years? What were you doing? we don't know. But here's the thing we do know is we know that during this time, this 30-year time, especially toward the end, um, I'll, I'll call it the time of John the Baptist. Toward the end of this 30 years is when John the Baptist steps into his ministry. During this time when Jesus was still in secret, John the Baptist, his ministry was going like this, okay? Um, and, and we get to see Uh, Last week, just very briefly, uh, a snapshot into snapshot—not snapshot—that's not a word. Snapshot into John's ministry as he was preparing the way for the Messiah. It was the time of John preaching repentance, baptizing, calling out the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and all of this happens before Jesus steps into his public, earthly part of his ministry. Now, last week, again, we got a little sample of this as Matthew zooms in. This week, though, we get to witness the scene when everything changes. Um, A shift takes place, and it's a shift that John the Baptist sees and knows really, really well. And um, again, the earthly part of Jesus' ministry begins today. This is a huge moment. And so I want to read our text, and and then we'll pray, and we'll we'll get started. So we're going to be in verse 13. We're going to go to 17 of Matthew 3. Let me read it for us. Matthew 3, starting verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. Let's pray together. God, we, um, we thank you for this time in your word that we get to have. And although we can't time travel to see this scene, we are given your word and the opportunity to sit in it together this morning. So I pray that no matter what we have going on in our lives and what is going to happen the rest of the day, that all of those things, that we would be able to be fully present in your word. Would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so back in verse 13, if you look, it starts with the word then, and, and then is this connecting word that makes us think about what came before. And, and so I just want to, before we start clicking through our text, just remind you what came before. Um It says this in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. John is saying this, but then he says, he who is coming, that is Jesus, is mightier than I, his sandals, I'm not worthy to carry. He's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, winnowing fork is in his hand. He's gonna clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We walked through this last week, but here's what's clear. In verses 11 and 12, John is clearly pointing to Jesus, saying, he's coming. He's proclaiming Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus. And that's why I love the way verse 13 starts, then, then, meaning right after that, then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. I love this because in the midst of his proclamation, Jesus steps on the scene, the very one who John was preaching about is now here, then. Matthew left us as we saw that chart with Jesus as a baby, Jesus as a child. Now here, Jesus is entering the scene as a full-grown man ready for action. And he says he came from Galilee. I read someone describe Galilee this week as the backwater backwoods of Israel. I don't know if you're from Galilee, that's probably pretty insulting, but that's the way that I saw it in multiple places. So Jesus is here coming from the backwoods of Galilee. Um, and, and why did he come? Did he come? He, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. Why? To be baptized by him. This is in stark contrast, by the way. Last week we talked about how the Pharisees and Sadducees were coming, but they weren't coming to be baptized by Jesus. They were coming to spectate not here. We have Jesus here coming to be baptized by him. And I want to pause right here because this is where it gets really awkward. Um, I don't know if you've thought about this. This is a super awkward scene. It's a moment that if you think about it, you have to kind of scratch your head for a little bit and go, here's, here's, here's what I mean. And by the way, John picks up on this awkwardness right away. Listen to what he says. John, he says, (laughs) I would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and here you are coming to me. See, John picks up on an awkwardness here. Um, Think about this. John, his whole ministry, is calling people to repent. Right? Um, Calling them to see and acknowledge the sin in their life, confess it, and repent. This is John's ministry. This was John's message. This was John's baptism, a baptism of repentance. That's what John's, that's what he's doing. So Jesus, why on earth would I baptize you? This is what John's asking. Why on earth would I baptize you? Immediately, John knows who Jesus is. And I'm not just talking about like John saying, yeah, that's my cousin. Not talking about that. Jesus knew the one coming to him was the one without sin. Why on earth would I baptize him? Now, we know in other places of scripture, I could put a lot of them up here. I'm going to put one, that Jesus was sinless. And um, in other words, Jesus didn't have any sin to acknowledge. Jesus didn't have any sin to confess or sin to repent. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Um, For example, one example tells us, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus knew no sin. Because of that, there was no need to repent from sin, right? This is awkward. So John, preaching repentance, baptizing for repentance, sees Jesus, recognizes Jesus and says, Uh, wait a second are we allowed to do this like I don't need to baptize you I need to be baptized by you them those heathens I got them I can baptize them but I need to be baptized by you John acknowledges his own sinfulness in comparison to Jesus it's like if one of us is getting baptized for repentance it's me not you And John sees this, and he sees that the tables should be turned. Jesus, you should be baptizing me. Why? Because, again, John ultimately recognizes who Jesus was, and, and it causes John to pause. It causes John to say, wait, 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 should we do this? Should we do this? This hesitation points to the uniqueness of Christ, the perfection of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, and the awkwardness of this moment. And, and through this moment, Jesus points to something else. Verse 15, Jesus responds to John by saying, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness and then he consented. Okay, there's a lot here and I wanna call out something kind of obvious. Um, Jesus' response is, response is somewhat vague. I wish it wasn't. I wish Jesus gave us a lengthy argument theologically why this should happen argument A, and then argument B, and then support argument C. And now we understand. Jesus does not do that. His response is brief, but there are a few things in his response that are so clear. Number one, Jesus seems to acknowledge John's concern. What I mean by this, Jesus doesn't rebuke John for this. He doesn't say, whoa, John, where are you getting that? Like, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, John, you're wrong. Like, what is wrong with you? He doesn't say that. He also doesn't blow off his concern either. He acknowledges John's concern in his logic. Second, even though he acknowledges it, he still continues right on forward asking him to baptize him. He continues to seek baptism from John. So he acknowledges John's concern, it's valid, and the baptism is still to continue. Number three, lastly, Jesus is going to give us another reason why he is going to be baptized. He's going to give John another reason. Jesus says, I'm not here to come and confess my sin. He says, to fulfill all righteousness. John, this is why I'm here, and this is, John, why you must baptize me. Jesus says to John, let it be so, and let it be so now. Why? Because it is fitting, meaning it is right. Um, it's appropriate. It's good. It's fitting for us. That means us, John, you and I, in this moment, here in this river, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? What does that mean? Um, Bible scholars and commentators have, have killed a lot of trees and spilt a lot of ink to unpack these, these few little words. Um, they really have. And, and each of them kind of articulated a little differently. But I got to tell you, after reading, they're all saying the same thing. And, and in my opinion, each of them points to the most obvious reading of the text. Sometimes I think we like to kill a lot of trees and spill a lot of ink when sometimes we should just keep things simple. Well, here's one of the examples. Um, so when we see this, what we've seen is Jesus has already fulfilled so many prophecies. He's already fulfilled, Um, we've already seen how Jesus is the plan from the beginning. We've already seen that. We've seen it throughout Matthew. And now here, Jesus is making clear, not only am I going to fulfill all the prophecies, but I'm also going to obey all the moral demands of God's will. Um, In other words, he is the righteous one. And he is fulfilling all of the righteousness of God in this moment in his life. In other words, to fulfill all righteousness means that Christ completely fulfills everything in obedience to the will of the Father perfectly. And completely and perfectly. Everything, he fulfills all righteousness, holy and and righteous forever. So to be clear, this is really important. And I want to put up a scripture that I already put on the screen. 2 Corinthians again, 5.21. I want to quote it again just for us to see. He says in 2 Corinthians, for our sake, that's you and me, um, for the sake of us as sinners, for the sake of us who are unrighteous, for our sake, he, that is God the Father, made him, that is God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, meaning the perfectly righteous one who knew no sin, the one who fulfilled all righteousness, took on our unrighteousness, took all of our weight, the penalty of all of it, all of our unrighteousness. The one who fulfilled all righteousness took on all unrighteousness so that in him, that is in Christ, we, as you and me again, might become the righteousness of God. What this means is there is a beautiful, wonderful exchange that is going on here. We're on this hand, the one who fulfills all righteousness. And then we have on this hand, the ones who are unrighteous. And so the righteous one takes the unrighteousness on his shoulders and gives us his righteousness. This is what's going on here. So that now in him, we might become the righteousness of God. I've used this word before, but it's an alien righteousness. It's not, an, it's not our own righteousness. It's from outside of us. We are made righteous because Christ's righteousness is applied to you so that in him, you might become the righteousness of God. It's a beautiful exchange. We are right, righteous. Righteous. Only because of the righteousness of Christ. Only because of his righteousness applied to us. We're only able to meet the moral standards of our God through Christ who met all the moral standards of our God. And so Jesus here, what he's doing is connecting this act of baptism with obedience to God. Um, this, is, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. And it's so important for us. And more than that, along with that, um, we mentioned that Jesus, uh, that John knew who Jesus was. Well, in this scene, we, it's also very clear that, man, Jesus knew who John was. Because in this moment, Jesus is identifying with and validating John's ministry. And we need to think about this. John had been preaching about the one to come. John had been preparing the way, first prophet in almost 400 years, and he is just preparing the way and, and, and for Jesus to come. Well, here's the crazy thing. By Jesus coming to the water, by Jesus coming to be baptized by John, Jesus in, in a very real way is saying, yes, John is the one preparing the way. Um, his message is true. John is the one called by God. He's pointing to the one to come, and the one to come is here. He's validating this message. He's validating John's ministry. Um, and as I mentioned before, this moment is really the formal start line of Jesus' ministry. And, and in this moment, again, when Jesus steps out of 30-plus years of relative silence, into the heart of his public life and in ministry. And this is the starting line. And I want to point something out with that, along with the starting line. Um, this is, and I've used this word, a transition. Because up to this point, we have John's ministry going like this, right? And then in this moment, Jesus steps in. Jesus' ministry goes like this, and John's does this. This is a transition. When the ministry of John gives way to the ministry of Jesus. This is a baton passing moment here. In other words, the preparation for the one to come is now done because the one to come is here. And it's in this moment we see, and and you don't need to turn with me here, but I do want to show you something. Because as I mentioned, John knew this. Let me, I'll put it on the screen. This is John 3. Um, And by the way, different John. So this is the gospel of John. John the disciple, not John the Baptist. John the disciple is writing about John the Baptist. Too many Johns, too many Johns. Um, But here in this text, we have a disagreement. And it came up, they were having this fun theological debate and they came up to John, that is John the Baptist. And um, they said, Rabbi, teacher, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, talking about Jesus, okay? Pointing back to the moment we just read about in Matthew 3, this baptism scene. Here's what they say. Look, he's, he is baptizing and all are going with him. I love this question because it's like, John, how are you doing with that, right? And, um, you okay with that? Well, John answers, he says in verse 27, listen to this. A person can't re- cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Then he says, The most mic drop statement ever He must increase, but I must decrease. He that is Christ in the ministry of Christ, the public ministry of Christ, he must increase. But in order for that to happen, I, I myself, my ministry, I must decrease. Church, in this moment, our text, Matthew 3, the baptism of Jesus, represents the exact transition moment for John's words to come true. When the ministry of John gives way to the ministry of Jesus, when John decreases and Jesus increases, this is in... Incredible moment of great joy and great power in a moment that brings God great pleasure. And I wanted this to just be kind of a little quick reminder for all of us here. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the worthy one. Jesus is the famous one. Jesus is the one who deserves all honor, glory, and power. He is the one who holds all power. And I think we would do well to take the heart of John. Being willing to decrease as we proclaim Jesus, that Christ would increase. John stood here in the power of this moment in the Jordan River, and John was willing to step aside, to let all attention, to let all glory, to let all focus go to Christ. John's whole mission was to prepare to, the way for Jesus, to make much of Jesus, and John was not gonna forget that here in the water. And so John, in all humility, says, or he doesn't say, it just says that he did. Then he consented. Then in verse 16, we read about the baptism. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And the heavens opened in this incredibly powerful moment. Do you remember at the beginning when I said I wanted to be a fly on the wall? This is the moment that I want. There were no walls. I'd be a fly on a tree to this moment right here. Um, this is an incredible moment when Jesus goes down into the water, comes back in the heavens open. The heavens open up before him. And listen, he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove resting on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, "This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased." Okay, here in this moment, we see the heart, the face, the power of our God in display. Here in this water I don't know if you've realized this we see the full Trinity in this incredible moment. Our God is triune. Now what that means is there is one God and our one God eternally exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And here is the Trinity on display for us in Matthew 3. Which by the way, this whole idea of Trinity is one of the greatest examples, our greatest proofs that your finite mind can't fully wrap around the infinite things of God because the Trinity is one of this, the most beautiful, powerful mysteries of our God and yet we know from Scripture this is who our God is. He is eternally triune. He is eternally one in three persons, eternally. And we know that. Church, we proclaim that. We believe that. And here's the coolest thing is that in this scripture, not only do we know that, believe that, proclaim that, here in this scripture, we see it. We see it. Think about this. We have God the Son, Jesus, going down into the water, coming up, obedient, righteous, perfect, getting baptized to fulfill all righteousness. We have God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit descending here like a dove in the form of a dove resting visibly on christ meaning we have god the spirit resting on god the son and here we also see or to be more precise here god the father As Jesus is in the water, as the Holy Spirit is resting on him, God the Father said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is one of the most incredible moments in history when everything in the world is as it should be. What an incredible, perfect moment this is. A moment that pleases our God. A moment that brought our God pleasure. Here we see all of the members of the Trinity. We see the full Godhead on display here at the same time. Our God is Trinity, and we see our God in this text. There's, a, there's an old creed of the church. It's oh, a beautiful creed written by that dude. Um, not recent, all right? This isn't a recent photo, as you can tell. Athanasius, um... And it's named after this guy. It's the um, Creed of Athanasius, if you want to look it up. It is beautiful. It is well worth your time to read. It is only centered on the Trinity. So if you're struggling with wrapping your mind around the Trinity, let this man with the impressive forehead let you in on on just the beauty of this Creed. Um, Well worth your time. Not going to have time to walk through it today. Um, The reason I bring him up, though, is because from his creed, from scripture, and then from his creed, uh, there is a graphic that we have that comes out of it. Um, And it's a graphic that is called the shield of the Trinity. I got to tell you, there is no graphic that can do the Trinity justice, okay? There's no analogy. Don't give me an egg. Don't give me an apple. Don't give me water. Don't do it. None of them do it justice. Neither does this, but this does point to something that is really powerful. Um, It's called the shield of the Trinity, comes from the creed, comes from scripture, and it shows us something important as we try to understand our God as Trinity. So here we have God is one. In three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. We have the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, God is one. And yet in that, God is distinct in his persons, meaning the Father, Son, and Spirit are distinct. Meaning, the Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son, and the Son is not the Father or the Spirit. I think I got all the combinations there. Our God is one, and he is three persons, Our God is one and distinct in his three persons, unity and trinity. This is our God. Okay, here's why I show this. Because here in this scene, as Jesus is getting baptized, we see our God. We see the trinity and we see this, father, son, and spirit in unity and in their distinction, trinity and unity. This is a powerful scene. I'll say it again, I wish I was a fly. If you're here, by the way, and you are wrestling with your faith, if you're here and um, you're seeking, maybe struggling with doubt, you're trying to figure out what you believe, um, if that is you, maybe you know someone who is struggling. Maybe you know someone who is wrestling with their faith. I would give anything to be able to go And take us all, make us all flies going back to that moment. I would do anything to transport us back to that time. Why? Because how incredible would it be to look to Christ in the water as the perfect fulfillment of all righteousness, see the Holy Spirit as he rests on him like a dove, and to hear the Father's voice booming from the heavens opened above saying, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Like, in that moment, I've got to be honest with you, there is nothing else that matters. Like, in this moment, we see our God. We see the object of our faith. We see Christ and all, Him in all of His power. I wish I could snap my fingers and take us back, like Superbook style, to this moment. But instead, here's the truth. We don't have that, but we do have this we do have this. We have the Word of God that invites us to read and to know, and that calls us to believe in faith in what it says, to trust the Word of God. And so, because of that, um, I want to finish with the words of John today. Actually, several words of John, okay? Um, going back to John 3. John the Baptist makes this incredible statement, I must decrease, and he must increase. Wonderful statement, right? Do you know what John says after that? He says this in verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is on the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. In other words, John is saying, I'm a man, I'm a fallen man, speaking as a man, but Christ, he's the Messiah, the Son of God from heaven. I speak in an earthly way with an earthly perspective, contrasting here to Jesus, the heavenly Son, bearing witness to the things he has seen. The Son of God bearing witness to the things of God, the Father himself. Jesus bears witness. Here's the question. Will they listen? Will we listen? Will we we receive? Because listen to verse 33. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, meaning his assurance to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Um, Before I continue, as we look back at the scene in Matthew, Jesus, as he's in the water, the fulfillment of all righteousness, Holy Spirit resting on him, God the Father speaking his pleasure over him, the question for us is really simple for all of us. Will we, will you receive this testimony as true? That this is not a cutesy story but it's the truth of God, the testimony of God. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Will you receive this word, believing in faith? Will you receive this? Because verse 36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Um, Church, our eternity rests on this question. I want to drive this just a little further because not only does our eternity rest in that, not only that, but the eternity of our friends and our neighbors rests on this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Do you believe? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Do they know Jesus? Do they believe? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So your call with the time you have in this life, your calling is to know and trust and believe Jesus and to proclaim Jesus so that others may know, believe, and trust in Jesus. This is our call. To point to this, and say, look to Jesus, look to him, come to him, believe him, behold him. Your calling, like John's, your calling is to decrease so that he may increase. That is your calling. As Jesus steps into the water for baptism, he was getting baptized, not because of his need to repent, but because he is perfect and fulfilling all righteousness. Jesus getting baptized because he was stepping into his public earthly ministry. Jesus getting baptized because, hear me, because he came to the earth sent by the Father on mission from the Father to save sinners so that we who are sinners can repent, so that we, you who are sinners, can believe in him, so that we who are sinners can be saved and forgiven and redeemed so that we can be children of God, so that we can be cleansed, so that we can be given a mission, a commission to proclaim Jesus to as many as we possibly can. To go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. This is our calling. This is our mission. And again, of course, I wish we were able to snap our fingers, just take people back to this moment, because that would make our jobs a lot easier. But instead... This morning, I want to remind you that your call is to point to the Word of God. Because through this, um, the, the most amazing thing is sometimes I think we read this as like a textbook that we study and uh, uh, memorize, parse, dictionary, right? We do that sometimes. But I think we forget that often that this is given to us so that we can know our God, That's right. who He is. And in this scene, we are given this moment that we get to place ourselves into this moment and look to our God. Jesus, the son in the water, spirit resting on him. God, the father booming from heaven. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. This morning, through this, through this, we are able to look at our God. And and so our question, the question uh, John is driving us to ask when he says, whoever believes in the son, has eternal life the question is do you believe in the son will you proclaim him proclaim the son so that others may know him like john are you willing to decrease that he may increase our text this morning calls us to one thing look to our god this morning see him there in the water living the life you could not live sinless fulfilling all righteousness so that in him we might become the righteousness of god Look to our God, believe in him, believe this trust in Christ, trust in Christ alone, because whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Amen.